Because faith comes through hearing the message of Christ, this sermon has been uploaded for you by Grace Unlimited, a ministry that functions out of Living Hope Church, Pretoria, South Africa. We want Jesus Christ to have first place in everything in our church. And we want to help you know and follow Jesus in all of life and to help others do the same. Find out more or download many more free sermons at graceunlimited.co.za or livinghopechurch.co.za. Church, it is my joy to be with you this morning again to be able to worship God together, and indeed, that is why we are here today. We've gathered here this morning to worship the true and living God of the Bible. We didn't come here just to gather and be able to see our friends and see other people, we didn't come here just to sing some songs. And have our bodies move a little bit, even though I think we can do better in that area. We are here to worship. And kids, that's the word I want you to listen for today. It's the word worship. But what does it actually mean that we come to worship God? Because if you look at the word worship itself, in the Greek language, it's actually a pretty interesting word. Because one of the most common words for worship is proskuneo, which is made up of two words, pros and kaneo. Now pros means to go toward, to go toward, and kaneo means to kiss. So to worship is essentially to set your affections towards a certain object, to set your affections towards a certain object. Object. Now in the Christian context of worship, that means we're directing all our love and all our affection and, and all our praises and desires to God. It means your soul is longing to be in fellowship with the living God. So let me ask you right here, right now, before we even dive even further into God's Word today, is that what you are longing for? right now is your soul longing to be in communion with God worship is the most important thing we can do as Christians because it's the very reason why we were created and it's fundamental to our relationship with God and if it's so important, that the obvious question should be then, how should we worship God? How should we worship God? Now we're studying the Ten Commandments. And today we will see, in fact, that how the Second Commandment helps us know how we should worship God. More specifically, how we can keep our worship pure according to the way that God wants us to worship Him. Because the problem that was going on back in the day with Moses and the Israelites, and this is a similar problem that we still have today. People want to worship God according to how they want to worship God. People have their own idea of what it is to 
worship God in the way they want to do it. And these thoughts and ideas, they come from somewhere. Now as you read the first two commandments, and I've heard many of you say this already, as you read the first two commandments, you might think they are pretty much saying the same thing. Both have to do with idolatry in a sense. But there is a difference. Because the first commandment has to do with worshipping the right God exclusively. Worshipping the right God exclusively. That's what we saw last week. We must reject every other false god that fights for our affections in order to worship the true God exclusively. But now the second command has to do with worshipping the right God in the right way. Worshipping the right God in the right way. In other words, it's all about how we are to worship God. And what the commandment is basically saying is that we may not worship God in any form of any man-made idol. Because what we will see today is how we worship God really matters to Him. We may not worship God just any way we like, but only the way that He has commanded us to worship Him from His Word. See, where the first commandment forbids false gods, the second commandment forbids false worship. So we want to talk about true God-centered worship today, according to the second commandment. Pure worship that pleases God. Because we still live in a day and age where people are approaching God to worship Him in a way that dishonors Him. So our question is, how can we keep our worship pure? That's our question for today. How can we keep our worship pure based on the second commandment? And we're going to answer that question with three points. And the first one is, if you're going to keep your worship of God pure, then firstly, avoid making false images of God. Avoid making false images of God. God is not leaving us in the dark here when it comes to figuring out how we are to worship Him. In the law that He gave to Moses at Mount Sinai, in the very context of worship, as we said last week, He tells Israel how they should worship Him. Now basically there are two prohibitions here in this command. Followed by an explanation for them. And the first prohibition is no one is allowed to make an image, images that represent God in any form. Because it says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, that is in earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. God is saying that man is not allowed to take anything, He's, whether it's wood or stone or, or forged in metal or anything that was shaped by human hands and make a representation of a divine being of some sort. But it's not just that Israel was not allowed to make an idol that represented any kind of divine being. They were specifically prohibited to make a man-made version, representation of God Himself. In other words, the Israelites were not to use images of anything in creation to visualize Yahweh. One very old commentator, Charles Hodge, he's he says it like this, Idolatry 
consists not only of worship of false gods, but also in the worship of the true God by images. In his well-known book, J.R. Packer, maybe many of you have read this book, Knowing God, he goes on to say that in its Christian application, this means that we are not to make use of visual or pictorial representations of the triune God or of any person of the Trinity for the purposes of Christian worship. Now you might hear that and think about the second commandment here and think, man, is God saying that the Israelites were not allowed to make any kind of Christian art or something like that? Use their skills and craftsmanship to make Christian stuff. We know that's not what God is saying because we know that he gave his, his spirit, this theocratic anointing, uh, when it came to building the tabernacle and, and some of the work that was happening in the temple. Which means he gave his spirit to give certain men to have the ability to make the tabernacle. God gave him these special skills just for a short time to, to make something beautiful that, that everyone could appreciate with precision. You see that in Exodus 31. These men engage in all kinds of craftsmanships as they built the tabernacle. You see, God is also not saying that you can't be artistic and make beautiful things. But what He is saying is you are not allowed to make images and idols that represent Him. These idols that will serve as objects of worship. This is a command that God is not to be pictured. He is not to be visually represented. God explains this again in chapter 4 of Deuteronomy. He says, Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully. Since you saw no form, that's key, since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke you to you at Horeb in the midst of the fire, beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image of, for yourselves in the form of any figure. Now remember, Israel, they were in this context where the Egyptians were worshipping their gods, their so-called gods, these false gods that were represented by animals. I mean, the god of Horus had a head of a falcon, and Anubis had the head of another animal. But the god of Israel, he refuses to be represented in the image of any of his creatures. We actually see an illustration of this. When we get to the book of Kings, later in Israel's history with King Jehu. Jehu was a king who wanted to get rid of all the Baal worship. This false idol of worship from Israel. And he was able to do that by commanding the, that the Queen Jezebel was put to death along with all the ministers of Baal. You see that in 2 Kings chapter 9 verse 30. But the thing is, Jehu, even though he was able to take care of Baal worship... This bowl worship problem, 2 Kings 10.29 says, But Jehu did not turn aside from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. That is, the golden calves that were in Bethel and in Dan. So what's happening here is that Jehu was enforcing the first commandment. That Israel was to have no other gods. And that sounds great. That sounds wonderful. But the problem is, he was causing the people to break the second commandment. Why? Because these golden calves that were still around. They didn't represent other gods. They were intended to represent the God of Israel. 
You see, even though the intentions might have been good, perhaps, the execution of their worship was not according to God's word. But rather, it was according to how they wanted to worship Him. God makes this even clearer with the second prohibition. Because He says, basically, that you are not allowed to bow down and worship this image or this idol. Verse 5. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. The Israelites were strictly forbidden to make images of God to use in worship. And the thing is, when people try to be, to be closer to God, they wanted to have something they could touch and feel and, and see with their eyes. And then what ended up happening is that people think this carved image or idol has some kind of power. And so what's happening is that Israel treated these religious symbols as if it had religious power. We see an example of that. 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 3, with the Ark of the Covenant. They were asking, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of the enemies. People were doing the same thing with the temple. Treating it as if it was this good luck charm. We see that in Jeremiah 7, verse 4. Do not trust in these deceptive words, God says. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. They're making this big fuss about the temple of the Lord. And even though it seems like that was Israel's problem so long ago, the reality is this stuff is still happening today. I mean, I knew of someone who would take a necklace and it had this cross on it and they would hang it in their car thinking that God will give them this extra protection on the road because of this cross hanging in their car. Now maybe that's more of a Catholic thing, but the problem is the person is trusting in the necklace. Their devotion is directed towards this object for protection. What about church buildings? Churches that are full of these statues and and relics and pictures of God painted on the walls everywhere. The way some churches conduct their services, where they believe there's special power in the objects that they use during their worship service. And no one else is allowed to touch that thing. Only the anointed man of God can touch this relic, this item, this object. I mean, I literally experienced this not too long ago. And so we must ask ourselves, why is this such a problem? Why is God so serious about this? Why is this a problem in our worship to God? It's because there's no one like Him. There's no one like Him. No idol or picture can truly accurately represent who God is. The Bible clearly tells us in John 4.24 that God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. See, the fact that God is spirit means that He doesn't have a body. He's free. He's unlimited. He's everywhere. He's glorious, majestic. And as soon as you take a picture or try and make this carved image or idol of of, of who God is, you, you have this object that represents His power, maybe you think. And you are limiting Him to this object of your own imagination and worship. doesn't matter how beautiful that picture or that, that, that idol is. It will never be able to accurately communicate or represent the nature and character of God. 
God doesn't want us to look at pictures of carved idols to see who He is. Because these images and these religious items, they mislead us. When someone is making an idol like Israel did with this golden calf at the bottom of Mount Sinai, you know what they were saying essentially? They were saying, we're tired of waiting. We want to worship God the way we want. And we want to control God. Basically, they wanted to move God around and take Him wherever they were going. And so the second commandment is reminding us that who God is. That He is invisible, He is glorious, that He is sovereign, He is everywhere, and He is not to be limited and confined to something man has made. This is never going to be good enough. But the commandment actually explains another reason why God is so serious about this. Because he says uh, in, later in verse 5, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. So for is a reason. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. The reason why God doesn't want us to confine Him to an idol, to bow down to that idol and worship, is because of His love for us. Now we don't typically think of love when we think of the word Jealous. Or at least we don't think about jealousy in the positive sense usually. But God forbids idolatry because of His jealousy. You see, when something is really yours, there are times where you must protect it. You know, like my wife, you know, I, will, I will have a holy jealousy towards my wife because I love her. And it's going to be terrible for me to see her with another man. So it is with God. He feels the same way about His people. His love towards us is exclusive. It's passionate. It's intense. In other words, it's a jealous kind of love. One commentator, he says it well. He says, Godly jealousy is not the insecure, insane, and possessive human jealousy that we so often interpret the word to mean. Rather, it is an intensely caring devotion to the objects of His love. Like a mother's jealousy to protection of her children. A father's jealousy guarding his home. And so think about it. How terrible would it be if the God we worship wasn't a jealous God? Like one commentator says, he says, God's jealousy is his love protecting itself. In other words, God's jealousy is God's passionate zeal to maintain and protect His own glory. This glory that is going to be defiled and distorted when images are used in worship of Him. So God sets His love on us. And He gives us this commandment to protect us. So we can set our love on Him in the right way. And worship Him in the right way. Which means recognizing that our worship is to be done because He is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our worship. And He is worthy to be worshipped in the way that He says. Not in the way that we think or that we like. As creator of this universe, God has all the right to tell us how He is to be worshipped. Which brings us to point number two. If we are going to keep our worship of God pure then we should avoid making these images of God. But secondly, we need to rather listen to His Word. Listen to God's Word. We must notice again that the way Israel received the Ten Commandments, 
They were not able to see God. Moses wasn't able to see God. He was only able to hear God's voice. Therefore God wants His people to obey His commandments the same way they receive the commandments. And that is by listening to His word. Now specifically in the second commandment, we can notice how God gives a warning and a promise. God's people should listen carefully to this warning and this promise. When it comes to figuring out how we should worship Him. In other words, God shows His zeal to be glorified in our worship by cursing those who break the second commandment, but blessing those who keep it. Because what do we see with the warning? Continuing in verse 5. He says, Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Basically, this morning is saying the way Israel would worship God will have an impact on other people. God says the way your father worships in the wrong way, his children and later generations will be punished for it. And maybe you read that second commandment and you think, isn't that a little bit unfair? Isn't God being unfair to punish the children for what their fathers have done? I mean, we read it in Scripture, Exodus 34 verse 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and glorious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. That sounds wonderful. But, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation? God says the exact same thing in Numbers 14, 18. Same kind of thing in Jeremiah 32, 18. Where he says, You show steadfast love to thousands, but you repay the guilt of fathers to their children after them. O great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts. So what are we to make of this warning? You see, the second commandment is referring to the nation of Israel as a whole when it comes to this warning about the consequence of sin. The nation of Israel fails to obey this commandment and future generations will suffer. Because as one generation sins, the following generation will also follow in its footsteps. You set the trend, they will follow. Therefore God's judgment falls upon these future generations because they will also hate God. Because you notice when God says, those who hate me, He is saying, if you worship me in the wrong way and you keep doing what your parents did, you hate me as well. And you will be judged for that same hate. But other passages in the Bible helps us here because like Ezekiel 18 verse 20, it helps us to see how each individual will also be judged by God. It says, the soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. In other words, if you turn away from doing what your parents did, you will not be judged. But if you keep doing what they did, then you won't be able to escape your parents' judgment either. One man says, this doesn't give people the right to say, hey, I'm just doing what my parents taught me. 
You can't simply excuse your behavior, your disobedience because of your upbringing, your culture, or your personal history. God will punish the next generation if they continue in the same way as the previous generation. That's the point of the warning. And what we are being told here is that God is strict in His justice. Who is the God we serve? This is a God who is strict in His justice. But then listen to the opposite of what God says. He talks about the promise. But, it's one of those beautiful buts again in the Bible. But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. And the reality is here, the promise is more powerful than the warning. Why? Because its blessing lasts for not just three or four generations, but for a thousand. In other words, it's going to last forever. Kind of makes us think of the promise God made to Abraham, right? No matter what, the promise was going to happen. But God still expects Abraham and his followers to love him and obey his commandments. Now someone might be hearing God's threat here, this warning, in the second commandment, it might be discouraging to you to some extent because you come from a family that doesn't honor God. But that is why God also gives the promise. Because as we have seen already through our study of Galatians, God's blessing triumphs over the curse. So if you're sitting here today as a believer in Jesus, as a child of God that comes from a godless home, then you can see how this commandment should be causing you to worship God, to praise Him for His mercy and His grace because He kept His promise. If God can save you, then He can save your family too. If you come from a family, a Christian family, you recognize that you need to trust in Jesus as well. That your godly Christian parents is a blessing in your life because they give you an example you can follow. An example of what it means to truly worship God. And parents, the second commandment helps you to see that instead of leaving a legacy of judgment for your children, it teaches us you can leave a legacy of blessing. By teaching your kids who God really is. And how to worship Him according to His Word. Not according to your own ideas. But let me ask, are you? Are you? What does your family worship look like? What does your own worship of God look like during the week? If we look back in history, we see the Reformers and the, the Puritans. They operated according to the regulative principle. Now the regulative principle is simply that we don't have to figure out how we should worship God. We are regulated by what God says in His Word. Because the more we understand what God requires in our worship of Him, the more we will be free to worship Him in the right way. I mean, just look for a moment with me at a situation with Paul in the New Testament. You can turn there if you like in Acts chapter 17. We can see the reality of idol worship when Paul was traveling in the book of Acts and he was traveling to Athens. And Athens was a city that had idols all over the place. Let's look at chapter 17 verse 6. It says, Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens... 
His spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. See, when the Apostle Paul saw all these graven images, he got upset. He was overwhelmed to see so many people worshipping so many idols and denying God His glory. So what did he do? Verse 17. So he reasoned in the synagogues with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. He couldn't just sit by and watch what was going on. Paul then eventually gets himself into this meeting with these important guys in the community. These were guys who loved to argue about philosophy and religion and all these kinds of things. And you would think as Paul is in this group and this meeting with these guys, he was going to address them based on the first commandment. To address these false idols that the city was worshipping. Instead, as one man says, he addressed them on the basis of the second commandment. He told them that God cannot be worshipped by way of idols. Their problem was not simply that they were serving the wrong gods, but they were worshipping the wrong way altogether. So Paul says to these guys in Acts 17.22, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with the inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. And pretty much what Paul says next is what we've been talking about here. Because he says you cannot put God in a box. Verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. It's pretty clear what Paul is saying. He's saying based on the second commandment that God, the one who gives life, cannot be forced into a lifeless object. And when we do, we are worshipping God in the wrong way. I mean, how did Paul say the same thing to the Romans? Romans chapter 1 verse 23. Claiming to be wise... They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. And what were the consequences of this kind of thinking and, and worship? Verse 24. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity through the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator. So can you see, the second commandment is a serious thing. Because there comes a point where God says, if you want to live like this and worship your idols like this, you end up with the people who just live their lives and say, you know what, I don't care anymore. I don't care anymore. They don't care whether they're married or not. They don't care about same-sex attraction and stuff like that. They don't care about abortion, gender identification, and all these issues we see in our society. And so what is God saying? He's saying that the way we worship is a reflection of our knowledge of who He is. And it's a reflection of how seriously we take Him.
if we know who He is because we have our Bibles open, and if we listen to His warning, and if we know His promises, we will be careful to worship Him according to what He says in His Word. And so if we're going to keep our worship pure, we need to avoid making false images of God. We need to rather listen to His Word instead. But finally, finally, we need to look to the true image of God. Look to Jesus as the true image of God. As we study the Ten Commandments, and we're going to keep doing that in light of what we know is true about Jesus. And what we know is that when God spoke to Moses, He was invisible. But then the invisible became visible. When God took on human nature. And He came to this world and walked among us. And like how one man says it, he says, God has exclusive rights to creating His own image. And it's a copyright that He will never surrender. Whenever we look into God's law, we not only see what God is like through His Word, we also see more specifically who He is through His Son. In Romans 5.14, Paul talks about how Adam was a figure, a figure of Him who was to come. And that figure, of course, is talking about Jesus. Jesus is this figure who would come and show us what God is like. God revealed Himself to us in His Word through His chosen mediators in history, the prophets, the priests, and the kings. And at the right time, He would reveal Himself to us through our final mediator, His own Son, the ultimate prophet, priest, and king. Even in the, in, the, in the Gospels, we see that the disciples, they had this desire, this longing to see God the Father for themselves. And so what does Jesus tell them? John 14, verse 9. Jesus said to him, I have been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does His work. See, but the problem is, as 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You see, only Christ can do what no man-made image can, which is only Christ can perfectly reflect the image of God. But there's more to this. Because what do we know from Genesis 1.26? We know that when God first created the world, He made men and women how? In His image, right? We are made in His image. We are, to, we are made to reflect His glory. You see, another reason why God tells us not to make images is because He has already done that with you. As Calvin said, God cannot be represented by a picture or a sculpture since He has intended His likeness to appear in us. So what this means is, we should not make God's image, we need to be God's image. But we all know, sin has truly messed us up. 
Sin has messed us up. Because of sin, we don't reflect the glory of God the way we should. So in order for us to reflect the glory of God and worship Him the way we should, we need to be remade in the image of Jesus. So God sent Jesus, revealed Himself in Jesus, to repair that broken image so we can reflect His glory to the world. How does He do that? God does this by bringing us into this personal, saving relationship with His Son. So Jesus changes the way we understand the second commandment. Because in order to come to God in true worship, we don't need to make some kind of idol. All we need to do is to come to Him in faith through Jesus Christ. That's the whole point of the book of Hebrews. And one thing the Bible teaches us is that you become what you worship. You become what you worship. Psalm 115 verse 4 says it like this, Their idols are silver and gold. The work of human hands, they have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not feel. Feet, but they do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. But just think of the opposite. The more we worship Christ, the more we become like Him. If we worship Christ as God has revealed in the Bible, He works in us to repair His image so that we can live for His glory and reflect that glory. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The more you look at Jesus, the more you become like Jesus. The more we truly worship God the way we should, the more we reflect His glory to the world around us. So if people had to look at your life right now, what would they see? Who are you worshipping? And how are you worshipping? Where does this all leave us? To keep our worship here, we need to avoid making false images of God. We need to rather listen to His Word and we need to look at His Son. But what does it mean for us today? If we think about this second commandment, let me try and share with you a couple of ways we can seek to apply this. And, and hopefully we're going to have good discussions about this further in our gospel community groups this week because there's a lot more we can say about this. But firstly, recognize that you don't need idols or pictures to worship God. Seems obvious, but we should say it. You don't need idols or pictures to worship God. What the second commandment is teaching us is that we don't need an object or a picture made by man to help us worship God. Because what it comes down to is if we think we need this object to be closer to God, then we are breaking the second commandment. Because we think we can manipulate God. Many people think if, if I do this, then God will do that. If I touch the minister then I will be healed. If I fulfill my vow, then God's going to make me rich. 
If I say the right prayer in the right way, in the right direction, I will unlock the key to God's blessings. God cannot be manipulated. We can also guard against mental images of God in the wrong way by understanding how the Bible speaks of God. Many times the Bible speaks of God by being like something, like a shepherd or a father. We think of the prodigal son. God is pictured as a father who runs out and and shows love and grace to his son who has returned. And the point is that we need to think of God's grace, His amazing grace and His mercy in a moment like that. We're not to try and picture how God is running with His legs and His arms, running towards someone literally. We are not to make images of the invisible God, but we can enjoy worshiping God according to what the Bible says He is like. Where the truth and the theology of the Bible fuels our worship. Because it teaches us how majestic and glorious He really is. Which means, secondly, make sure you are listening to God's Word. The Bible says, faith comes by hearing. Hearing the Word of God. Romans 10. So believing and trusting is by hearing and not seeing. That's why we need to be Word-centered people. We don't come to God with our own ideas of who He is. If you hear someone saying, My God would certainly never condemn anyone in hell. Or this is who God is to me. Then they are worshipping the God of their own understanding. They are not worshipping the true God of the Bible. Because think about it. If we, if we are looking to God's Word, there's real freedom from being captive to worship God according to a certain culture in a certain way, of these man-made ideas. God revealed Himself through His Word, and that is where we look to see what we should do in our worship of Him. Thirdly, don't worship God based on your experiences. And again, this should be obvious. In other words, many times worship services are more about a show then it is about worshiping God and listening to His Word. People are drawn in by the entertainment value, not by knowing who God really is. We know that God changes His people through His Word, not through a a performance or a show. I like how one man says it, Kevin DeYoung, he says it like this. In John 1 verse 1 it says, In the beginning was the Word. It doesn't say in the beginning was a performance. Or a show. It was the Word. And the Word was with God. That is why we are so serious about studying God's Word. About lifting up the Scriptures and everything we do. And when we sing, when we pray, when we listen to God's Word. Every Sunday. But then finally, we worship God through what He has given the church. We worship God through what He has given the church. While we wait for Jesus to come back, God reminds us of Christ in the sacraments. When we have communion, like we are going to have today, we have the bread and the cup, and they serve as a reminder that on the final day, we will see God like He really is. So when we want to see Christ, we don't have to try and figure out what He looked like. Did He have long hair, short hair? Because the Bible doesn't say what He looked like. And I think that's for a reason. 
We can rather look upon the sacraments to be reminded of His suffering on our behalf. To be reminded of His amazing grace in saving us. How the perfect image bearer died for us so that we can worship God the way He intended us to worship Him. These elements that we use in communion, they are Christ-ordained images that God allows us to use in, in our worship of Him. So we can see that the second commandment, it helps us keep our worship of God pure. God doesn't want us to make images of Him. God doesn't want us to bow down and worship these man-made ideas. He wants us to worship Him by listening to His Word. And by looking at Jesus through His Word. I want to close with the words from 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, verse 20, says it like this. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true, His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much that you have shown us in your word who you are and how you are to be worshipped. Thank you, God, that we don't have to come up with our own ideas. Thank you that we don't have to interpret scripture from our experiences and what feels nice and what gives us tingles. We can come back to your word and, and see who you are from your word. Help us to keep our worship pure. Help us to put to death any idols in our lives, things that we bow down to instead, things that control our lives and we worship instead. Help us not to come even into this place to, to have a certain idea of who you are because of what we think. Help us be transformed by what your word says. Help us to remember Jesus and what he's done for us. so that we can be fueled in our worship because of your amazing grace, because of the salvation you have provided and rescuing us, that we can be your image bearers, that we can reflect your glory to the world around us by showing people what we truly worship and how we truly worship. Thank you for your law. Thank you for your word. And thank you for Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen.